0: the digital economy like few other countries but we're still reliant on physical identity documents to access government services or complete high value transactions. Interact is working to address this gap and make a secure convenient and privacy enhancing digital ID ecosystem a reality for Canadians. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca. Hey everyone, it's Friday, March twenty second. I've got the regulars here, Shannon Proudfoot of McClain's and David Reevely of the Canadian Press. Uh how are you guys doing? It's a little drab here in Ottawa today. It's cold
1: and
2: damp. It's, it's dreary. It's I'm
0: dreary. Damp. <laughs> I am yeah. down.
2: I came over here. I got rained on. Yeah. And, I know. And I mean, they said we could get like half a foot of snow, and we're not getting that so, so far. So I'm happy about that. You're but right. It's a crummy spring day.
0: Did you go running this
2: morning? Not this morning,
0: no. Okay. We caught you on an off day. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like, Is I ex- it bad I, that yeah, I feel better about Exercise bike like in the something. basement. Yeah, I know. When days when you that. don't go running. Yeah. <laughs> um,. Okay, so we'll just hop right into it here. On Tuesday, the Liberal government unveiled its its uh, pre election budget. So Finance Minister Bill Morneau, in his refurbished uh, shoes, went and, <laughs> and has been doing the media round since its release. So for the most part, there was nothing majorly shocking about it. It was a it was a middle class budget for the middle class budget. I think it was actually titled um, "Investing in the Middle Class." Investing in the middle class.
2: That's kind of the Liberal. That's the Liberal brand. tagline, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, not too offensive targeted uh, you know the people that the liberals want to be targeting millennials seniors so the biggest items uh biggest expenditure the 2.2 billion to um municipal infrastructure priorities it's a one-time transfer through the federal gas tax refund and shannon you wrote about this i did sort of extensively um and this proposed investment i guess you have to say proposed investment it's not Formally, it hasn't happened. It's yet. not there yet, but they
1: are rushing it out the door because it's for this fiscal. It's okay. So it's not even for next year. So as soon as it's approved, probably in June, um, it would go out the door.
0: So what does this exactly mean? Are we talking like
1: roads? Are we talking what? It, what is so it's mean? supposed to be short-term infrastructure. So it's a doubling of the typical gas tax municipal transfer. So they've, they've opted. And, and what was interesting in this budget, I thought, is that none of the stuff ever, all everyone said, of course, will be in it, was really in it. Like, it just wasn't know, what was, was of, predicted. And was this predicted. came out of nowhere. Um, so it's supposed to be short-term infrastructure. And the, the examples they gave in the budget are, are sort of, um, notable for how broad they are. Like roads, um, short, short link, I forget what they call it, short link rail or something like that. Municipal and regional airports. But then even things like, um, recreation and cultural facilities, like things that might not typically be thought of as huh. infrastructure. Um, so the idea is that it's supposed to be, like when I was talking to finance officials in the budget, it's supposed to be, it's designed to be very flexible and to kind of um, eliminate the bottleneck that might might be attached to funding with more stringent requirements um, that, you know, say might require matching funds mm. or, or would only be eligible uh, for certain types of expenses. Mm. It's meant to be wide open. Wide open.
2: Okay. Um, yep. yeah, the gas tax money has virtually no strings attached. Uh, and so municipalities love it because the federal government just says, right. here's some money. We made it from the gas tax. Here you go. And they get to hand it out. And I think this is the key without going through the provinces, because when oh, you want to send money right. to municipalities, usually the federal government has to go through the provinces, have some agreement with the provinces, which essentially control municipalities and if you listen to the feds they're saying we're having real trouble getting money through provincial governments particularly Ontario uh, Manitoba Saskatchewan and New Brunswick i think they said um, Right. because they don't have great partners there hmm. they have that makes sense conservative governments yep. they're not thrilled to work with the feds
0: so this does that mean then that the it's not like new money that's if it's a, it's, yeah, going, it's it's new it money. It's uh, from the
2: municipality's perspective. It's yeah, new money. For sure. oh,
0: okay, okay. Sorry, then it's not coming. Like it's not money that's just been gathered from this ta- uh, gas.
2: No, there's there. Expect- it's other money that they're dropping into. Oh, okay, this yeah. this funnel.
0: Um. Okay. So the next biggest line item was aimed at helping out seniors. It was a 1.8 billion over four years going to the guaranteed income uh, supplement. So, I mean. I think it probably makes sense and I don't know if this is customary for every government in their pre-election budget to go after seniors because they are sort of the the, the, vote they vote they're the ones that turn up at the polls the the third largest investment was uh, 1.7 billion over six years to help students who get assistance with post-secondary education costs pay pay less um, interest on the the debt they collect after university or college Again, probably a smart play given what we're seeing, you know, in Ontario right now with the, uh, with the Ford uh, cuts to, um, to OSAP benefits. But there was also a section in there for first time home buyers. Mm -hmm. Um, So what was that all about?
2: There are a couple of elements to it, but the one that gets the most attention for sure is that the uh, Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, which is like the federal housing agency, will take up a little bit of your mortgage if you are buying a house for the first time. 5% if you're buying an existing house, and 10% if you're buying a new house. They will own a piece of the property, and they will cover the mortgage on it. Now, you got to qualify for the mortgage in the, in the first place mm. under the Existing rules, so the idea is that this won't dump a whole lot of kind of market-distorting money into Mm -hmm. the market, uh, but that it will make housing somewhat more affordable for people who are looking to buy their their first homes. And does
1: that
0: mean if you sold it?
1: They, they, re- they recoup their money yeah. when you sell. Okay. And and the, the way they broke it down in the budget is they gave the example of, first of all, I, I sort of choked on this because I live in Ottawa. They said, say if you're buying a $400,000 condo. And I thought a $400,000 <laughs> condo signed <laughs> yeah. someone who doesn't live in Toronto. Right. Or anyway, favorite, yeah. um, I think they said something like 250 bucks a month you would save on your mortgage payment. So it's not... Giving people relief who wouldn't have the down payment that they need to qualify, it's it's lowering your monthly payments servicing right. your mortgage,
2: and you will share ownership of this yes. of this home with the government. And so the government
1: is like your grandma or something. Yeah, you exactly. A little bit a rich of your house grandma. With you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so there's there's a question though of whether or not this was, and there's also the the amount um, they're they're I think they're broadening out the um, the amount the first time buyer. Can can withdraw from the their RRSP. Yeah. Right? That's
2: the other thing, and probably the less consequential one. Yeah. Uh, you can a first time buyer can take twenty five thousand dollars out of an RRSP towards a down payment, and they're upping that to thirty five thousand dollars. I imagine mm-hmm. there are first time home buyers out there with thirty five thousand dollars in their RRSPs. I don't yeah. know that I know <laughs> any of them, but
0: I'm like, I, so it I, seems I sort of unicorny. <laughs> y yeah. there's this question of whether this is. Um, Uh, helping out, helping more of a a symptom of a problem rather than the actual problem itself, which is the lack of affordable housing options. Right. So
1: they said that 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 whole 5% versus 10% with CMHC going in on the mortgage is meant to encourage more housing stock because it's supposed to spur more demand for new houses to be built because you get more of your mortgage kind of shared. I I don't know. I kind of wondered about the logic of that because that's not necessarily creating a affordable housing, no. right? Like if you think about new developers building, you know, townhouses or whatever outside the green belt, I don't know if you'd call those affordable housing options because they tend to be like, you know, newer built custom homes, like I, I don't know what price point you're looking at increasing the mm-hmm. stock in and how that helps with affordable housing? How would you do that?
2: There a lot of them are uh townhouse developments though and row houses, yeah and I think that's what you tend to see in new subdivisions a lot of the time. Yeah. They most cities have started pushing for greater density. Uh, yeah. I if I were in municipal government, I would be concerned that this would be an incentive for sprawl, which uh, exactly. is a real like mm. creates long-term expense problems for city governments, but right. the uh, it would apply equally to downtown condos if uh, if those are being built.
0: Hmm. Okay, so another item that I think we all thought would get a little bit more attention, but it was sort of, it was predicted to at least, but... um uh, it was laid out in, in the budget uh, as more of a, like a save the date was Pharmacare. That's what I wrote in <laughs> yes. my story about it. Yeah, that's yes. right. right. I think I think I actually stole they said that. They sent us a promise ring.
2: Yeah, they said us yeah. a promise ring. Oh, a I
1: promise lo- ring. Oh, that would have been better
0: than save the date. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, I love like
1: le- lead regret. I'm so sorry.
0: <laughs> or t- TBD or, yeah. But a promise ring, that's a good. A promise ring. Um, oh, that's great so it's coming down the pipeline uh we've got the wheels in motion but it's sort of like uh that'll be coming in the future yeah. and shannon you wrote about this
1: yeah so it it was it was interesting the way they presented it in the budget because the big like headline on the first page of this section actually said introducing the Canadian Drug Agency. And then they listed all the wonderful things that the Canadian Drug Agency will accomplish. So primarily, what it's it's a step toward what would be called a national formulary, which is a nationally standardized list of drugs that would be available and approved for various uses. So it's Regardless a way to get consistency. Because right now I think it's the range is something like yeah. the Quebec form, provincial formulary covers like 8,000 drugs and other provinces cover a couple hundred. So it's a it's step towards standardization. Also the idea would be bulk negotiating the cost of drugs and getting a better deal for everyone right. because they cited all these sort of hair-raising statistics about the massively increasing cost of drugs in Canada and the fact that we mm-hmm. overpay in part because we have such a patchwork of public and private plans yeah. so this Canadian drug agency that was introduced is is going to help with all that and is is a step um, that advocates for national pharmacare this is the way they wanted to see it done at least as a start but the m- budget did not set aside money to create a national drug agency <laughs> it created money to to create a National Drug Agency transition office and the timeline looked like about if you sort of read between the lines 20 2022, 23 mm. is when the funding and it wasn't a lot of money it was 35 million dollars for this transition office that funding tapers off in 22 23 which is the same year that 500 million dollars a year kicks in to cover very expensive drugs for rare diseases so um, oh, it, it kind of looks like reading between the lines that's about the timeline they're looking at this actually coming to fruition but there was notably nothing said in the budget yet which is sensible enough cuz we're still waiting for a report from from the right. agency um, or the sorry the committee what's it called the advis- advisory advisory council, council. advisory yeah. council yeah. So there was nothing said in the budget about universal coverage for all these drugs we're just taking steps toward having a standard menu of drugs and better
0: prices for them so that advisory council I mean, it kind of got lost in the shuffle of news, but two weeks ago, or, or maybe it was last week, the, the, the advisory Their council, little interim report, which yeah, was pretty bare bones,
1: pretty kind of straight right. up the middle. But I think it's by June, they're June, expected to right, table the their or submit their full report, which.
2: As it happened, that interim report came out on a critical SNC-Lava. Oh, that's instead.
0: why right. it was So, lost.
2: Which I'm sure was a coincidence. Uh, but they it was a big deal and they brought out a couple of ministers. And they did it in downtown okay. Toronto. And then there wasn't very no much one. there but ooh Pharmacare, Pharmacare Pharmacare well
0: because it was last budget right It uh, that Morneau that created yeah. that advisory and, council and, you know, so. said yeah. that they were going to go through with this and say yeah. we're you know our, our plan is for national Pharmacare and then Eric Caution sort of took the lead on it Right.
2: Yeah, he's yep. the the former now former Ontario Health Minister yep. and a doctor uh, who was appointed to lead right. this group. Yep. In in to be generous about it, uh, creating a new pharmacare program oh from scratch is a it's massively ambition. complicated
0: Absolutely. thing. hugely complicated.
2: Require I'm just annoyed with the, the political provinces. calms
1: around it. Yeah. Like the the it's a done deal. Wait a Not minute. Not quite. Yes. Well, in, in a For sure. And that's exactly what Morneau said. We need to do this right. It's going to take time. We can't just wave a wand and make this happen.
2: No. The the kind of back-of-the-envelope calculation uh, that people use is that it, we're talking about a program that will have a cost of about $20 billion a year. And, I mean, it'll It'll, it'll, save. Save, it'll save eventually. You know, it'll it'll this save is money eventually. the government will pay yeah. instead yeah. of b- people paying out of their pockets, but it'll be hard to do without Significant, noticeable tax increase.
0: Yeah, we had we had a uh, Dr. Danielle Martin, who's often on the CBC on uh, ta- explaining Canada's mix of public and private health care, and yeah, she was like, you can't. It would be unimaginable to create a health care system in the twenty first century that doesn't include pharmacare. It's absolutely absurd that we. That we don't have some sort of
2: considering what an important role drugs that you take at home play now and i don't think that was envisioned when canadian medicare was invented you got sick you went to the doctor you went to the hospital they either basically made you better or you died yeah that was pretty much it now people take drugs for diabetes they take drugs for heart conditions you can turn cancer some cancers into essentially chronic conditions yeah at, but you take drugs for years and years and years and years and years, and, yeah. and they're very expensive. Yeah, and so oh if you want to maintain your health and with one or two or three of these conditions yeah. at once, oh, it's, it's
0: like You're either paying for drugs or you're paying for your house. You know, it's yeah. crazy. Um, okay, let's move on. Beyond budget. Although it all kind of relates at this point. So this next portion of our chatter is going to be a mishmash of political events that all somewhat relate to the ongoing SNC-Lavalin controversy, which has been going strong for like well over a month now. Uh, so, so first up, we saw on Monday the clerk of the Privy, Privy Council, Michael Wernick, um, a man with a very long career in the federal government, announce his retirement. Um, and in his resignation letter, that was on Monday.
2: Oh, jeez, that was four days ago. I know. That was four days <laughs> okay. ago. There was a cabinet shuffle, we and then he was yeah, that was, yeah, that was that this, was, this yeah, week. Hour,
0: that's right. right. I know, crazy. So in his resignation letter to the prime minister, he said, quote, recent events have led him to the conclusion that he couldn't hold his position heading into the next election campaign, and that, quote, it's apparent that there is no path for me to have a relationship of mutual trust and respect with the leaders of the opposition Parties, something obvious. Uh, should they be elected in October, sure. and and something that he would need to have obviously, um going forward. Now, so let me just footnote that it actually yeah.
2: matters even in the context even of the election, oh,
1: right? Because right. of the
0: critical that critical
1: incidents.
2: There's a they've set up this this panel where essentially, if the election, the conduct of the election, is threatened, right, there's right. this panel that he is. He's, certainly on it he might be the head of it and he is supposed to this group is supposed to alert canadians our election is 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 being hacked our elections our elections under threat and both the certainly the conservatives and the ndp and to a lesser extent even elizabeth may of the greens have treated him openly like he's just a tool of the liberal party and that is a a, it's an impossible position for someone to sustain i
0: didn't yeah okay that is that is an interesting point um Wernick has testified twice in the House of Commons Justice Committee about the allegations of undue pressure placed on the former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould by members in the PMO and other senior bureaucrats to interfere with the criminal prosecution of SNC Lavalin. He was hotly criticized um, for that role he played in all of this, and 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 whether he himself had had placed pressure on her to grant them a DPA. So. My God, this this controversy though, it, it, like regardless of what happens or the who, who on what side you believe, whatever, like it it's led to four resignations.
2: Big ones. Two Big cabinet ones. ministers, the prime minister's right hand man, and uh, the clerk of the Privy Council, the top civil servant in the country. And at least two of them have been, Wernick and and Jerry Butts have resigned because they can't continue to function, they say, amid all of the the controversy. Uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott resigned because they don't have confidence in the prime minister's management of the situation. Funnily enough, nobody, it seems, has quite resigned... I actually, I mean, Wilson-Raybould has not specified publicly precisely why she quit the cabinet the day she did. Um, but no, nobody's resigned because they did wrong, uh, so they declare. Yeah. And nobody's yeah. resigned in protest. They've all resigned because they are distractions or because things are very complicated and they don't right. want to be in the middle of it. So somehow we have this scandal where no one has gone committed any, any no, wrongs yeah. but all these people are, are
0: resigning
1: I mean and I think that adds to the sense of political crisis around it because like the, the blast radius is so huge yeah. and and it's such prominent people like when the when the opposition gets fired up and starts listing off the people who have resigned that in itself I think the optics are, are not great for the government because you just list off the the people who have left and the bold-faced names. And and as David's pointing out, there's quite subtle circumstances that each of them gave to their resignation, but it just adds up to a feeling of it's quite it's the body
0: count. Yeah, exactly. It's quite the body count. This comes a day before the liberal majority uh, in the Justice Committee shut down the investigation into the SNC-Lavalin affair. So agreeing that they did not need to hear again from Miss Wilson-Raybould. Um, they, self, they felt Canadians had heard enough. So this was This was on Tuesday, same day as the budget. Um, And they announced that uh, all all that came out of it, I think, was that I think this is the same day they announced that deputy prime minister and former attorney general and cabinet minister Anne McClellan would be tasked with determining whether the justice minister and attorney general job should be split. So that was sort of their only this is the only string that will continue on into the future. This sort of this of issue.
2: Uh, well, and there's the ethics oh, right. uh, and commissioner's the ethics investigation, right. which the PM and other senior liberals are pointing to as he's the guy who can really get to the bottom of this, which the opposition challenges because his right. ambit is fairly narrow. Uh, and as of right now, there is the prospect of the House of Commons Ethics Committee picking this up. Um, right. Because a number of Tories submitted a uh, a request that the ethics committee look into it, and the chair of that committee is a conservative, and he said yes. You know, we've we've got this, and uh, and we'll be taking it up. Liberals, although the chair of the committee is a conservative, liberals actually constitute a majority of that committee as well. So mm-hmm. we'll have to see what happens next week. I would say that the, no, I think they meet Tuesday to take this up. Right. I think. I mean, considering the liberals have a majority on it, the liberals will get to decide what it
0: does. <laughs> right now, this obviously again led to the opposition even even more so hammering home that point of, of a cover up. Um, you know, in the aftermath of this, did this impact? And there was a lot of talk. We talked about this last week, actually, like the whether or not the budget would trump the the news of the um, SNC stuff. Um, did this actually impact the release of the budget? Like did it delay it? Uh it did in, in a
1: in in <laughs> non-concrete ways maybe. So what happened and, and we actually didn't realize it right away because we were in the lockup and we'd been like they had like released the hounds where we could all have our phones back and our Wi-Fi to file. But we didn't realize because we get an an advanced copy of the the minister's speech that he's supposed to deliver in the House. That was delayed by, I think, was it more than an hour? It was about an hour, yeah. An hour. Um, But what they did is they went ahead and tabled the document even without him making the speech. So the Conservatives, there was this massive ruckus Mm -hmm. in the House, chanting, you know, let her speak, coming and goings. I'm not clear on all the details because, like I said, I was in the lockup. And so they attempted to basically delay the release of the budget to prevent the government changing the channel now what they've done since for the rest of the week tactically is has been pretty crafty too so they have had i think 257 different votes on estimates and so because these are money Money motions. This is actual the, spending. The actual spending. The government could fall on it. So basically they have prevented the liberals from just vamoosing out of Ottawa to go sell the budget across the country because they have to have enough people around for these votes. To It's not that the conservatives right. specifically want to topple the government. It's sort of a tactical maneuver. A, yeah. So they've had yeah. this vote marathon oh ongoing. We saw the pictures of the, the, the cots, cot's in the, and <laughs> the it foyer was, was and whatnot. The, what the sleeping bags. Yeah. So they, they have been... Um, you could debate whether it's a good look for them as opposition or not it's been a pretty um, sort of loud fractious kind of response but it's been in one way an effective response in that I think they really have prevented the the, the focus from shifting wholesale to the budget there was certainly wall to wall coverage on yeah. Tuesday yeah but I think the coverage since then, like the, the conservatives have accomplished what they probably set out to do, which was the channel has not been changed.
2: There were all kinds of ministers who were supposed to fan out and, and do budget related and other announcements. And they were stuck yeah. um, in part for the look of the thing that, you know, they didn't want to just have the rank and file MPs stuck in the house mm-hmm. voting over and over again. They wanted to have senior people there, um, but also because they just needed the numbers. Uh, so they canceled these events and wow. kept them many of them in Ottawa. The prime minister, uh, yesterday went to toronto in the morning did an event came back to ottawa to sit in the house i believe went back to toronto again for uh, a <laughs> oh uh, persian new year event and then was back in the house before midnight uh, wow. and then it- and then it wrapped it a, wrapped just it a little after
0: midnight. So it was from like Wednesday, I think at like 6 p.m. to 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 yeah. last, or this morning at 1 a.m. I'm, and he got in trouble for eating a Snickers bar on his desk. Yeah. That was very naughty.
2: You're not allowed to eat <laughs> in the house? To, yeah.
0: someone thought but it was I think bagel. like the best part of it was someone originally accused him of having <laughs> a having sandwich <laughs> a ba- or something. A and A bagel. A Our bagel,
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and, and Scott Reed is an Ontario conservative. I, I won't be able to quite do this line justice, but he said something like, to, to, uh, on the point of order pointing out that the pr- Trudeau was eating said something like uh you know the, the prime minister has already stained this house with uh corruption <laughs> must he stain it with mustard as well oh
0: yeah and then i was like you don't eat mustard on just on a bagel alone
2: see and now i want will? a smoked meat bagel yeah well that's, <laughs> yeah. The thing. that's like a thing and that's what i'm ribbon. getting for lunch. And that
0: i would have but <laughs> yeah. like just but mustard? that is
1: kind of a weird you know those weird those weird little details that someone's just it's a very good line yeah. but it makes you go wait a minute uh, what how do you think the world yeah. works <laughs> it's like cream
0: cheese or something yeah.
2: it is i all this votorama. it is worth noting that yesterday, Thursday afternoon, the, the Liberals did apparently get caught short. There was... Yeah. Right. They, there was a... The, the deal, as I understand it, is that you cannot vote on something as an MP unless you are present in the chamber when the actual question gets put, when okay. the, the what yeah. you're voting on gets read out loud. And uh, it appeared that there were not enough Liberals in in their seats where they were supposed to be or in the chamber. To overcome the number of opposition MPs who were there, and so there were numerous points of order raised about this, because if they lose a, these are as Shannon says these are money votes, and the government oh. falls if they don't uh, pass them. Uh, the way the uh, the assistant deputy speaker, who's a liberal. Handled it, and there is precedent for this. He didn't just make it up out of his head, but he said, You know, it's not my job to police uh, who's in their seats and who isn't. We will rely on the honor of the honorable members, and we will carry on with the vote. And there were enough liberals who voted. Mm-hmm. Uh, on their honor, right. to keep the government afloat. Well, I
1: think the wrinkle even there for them to rush back to their seats was one of the liberals said, "I didn't hear the question. Can mm-hmm. you repeat it?"
0: Mm-hmm. And it was a way to buy a few more seconds of time. And everyone rushes. I mean, it yeah, really is a bizarre look, though. You see these people, the cots rolling out. You see sleeping bags. Like people have. A I
1: saw a picture of Maryam Monsef wearing a, a hoodie and just kind of yeah, standing in her just, seat. I mean, after of, a while, it's like a study marathon in university, yeah. I guess. And right, actually. <laughs> the male
2: MPs, in order to speak, are required to wear neckties. Uh, oh,
0: okay, right. There
2: were so these guys who looked like they, they just put on a tie for the first time in their lives. <laughs> so they, their collars were outside their jackets, and, oh, and there was—I I don't know who it was—but there was someone who flashed by on the the screen. He was wearing a jacket and a T-shirt and a necktie. So good. over it like a frat boy at a at a Halloween party or something like that. Oh man, they all looked I know. like. I mean, my joke was they were doing Brian Burke impressions. Like, yeah, I got a tie. somewhere <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Like, just like, they wave just, wave like it put it over their head. Yeah.
0: And, so okay, well. I mean, it's, it, We'll get kind of back to that. But so then on Wednesday, Liberal MPs... Oh, my
1: God. We're only tracking to Wednesday. I, I know It's been such a long week. It's
0: crazy. So then Wednesday, this was actually before um, the marathon voting started, I guess. Liberal MP Selena C- Cesar Chavance um, yes. from Whitby, Ontario, announced that she would be leaving the Liberal caucus and sit as an independent for the rest of her term. So she's not running again in the next election. But this amid allegations that she put forward in the Globe and Mail that um, the Prime Minister yelled at her during a phone call and was very hostile. To her, after she told him he wa- she wasn't running. Um, now, how does she fit into the SNC I <laughs> thing? Well. The short
1: answer, in a way, is she doesn't, or she said she didn't, except she did. So the sequence of events: what happened is, and and this is all prefaced by her having put out a number of leading tweets when this was really, really hot in the in the midst of Jody Wilson-Raybould stepping down and and Jane right. Philpott. She put out a couple of tweets voicing support, and mm-hmm. I certainly put in a couple of calls to her office asking for an interview mm-hmm. and was shut down. I know a lot of other people did. Yes, I saw. So she, everyone did. So she was putting out a few tweets and then not wanting to discuss it, but they kept coming in drips and drips. And then there was a tweet she put out, I think it was after the Prime Minister's sort of kind of mea culpa, um, where he talked about the uh, trying to foster a, a culture of respect and communication and blah, blah, blah. And she said, um, remember when I came to you, do you remember right. your response? And so then everyone kind of thought, like, whoa. whoa. What is this? But again, it was just these little drips yeah, and hints weird. at something without just getting to it. Then she did a, an interview with the Globe and Mail where she laid out this story of having come to the Prime Minister and said, I don't want to run again next time. It's been too hard on me and my family. She also made a point of saying when she did release the statement saying she wouldn't run again, she was very clear saying it had nothing to do with the SNC-Lavalin scandal. (laughs) And the story she told to the Globe is that the Prime Minister really did not receive this news well, did not Mm. act, you know, sort of comport himself well with her, was quite frustrated. I think there is a universe in which you can look at everything that's been going on with this government and think about him having an MP coming to him saying, I'm going to not run again. It has nothing to do with this, but I would really like to... I think it was even about the timing of the announcement that she wanted to say it at the time, and he said, could you just hold on for a couple was, of days? It was...
2: If I remember the interview correctly, it was January 12th, which was the day that Jody Wilson-Raybould's resignation the previous night was announced. Oh, sure. And she called him and right. said, by the way, I'm going to...
1: Yeah. So anyway, the upshot of it is... After that interview with the Globe, it seems that Selena Cesar Chavan h- heard some blowback yeah. from within the caucus. And even I think she sort of alluded to her own constituents being displeased about this and that she's decided to sit as an independent because she she sort of acknowledged that the interview was was a mistake or was unhelpful in
0: some capacity. She'd done some
2: she'd done some harm. She'd hurt people in ways she hadn't yeah.
0: intended. And right. Much. And she kind of it's almost like she kind of was embarrassed by it. But it, I think. Yeah, I think the way we related that. Her to the SNC stuff too. Again, it's going back to that tweet she had. She had made um, saying, you know, like don't underestimate the power of women to add women, change politics, and connecting herself to. So she was.
1: That's the thing is, she was connecting herself to the issue. It's that when she said she wasn't running again, she said it had nothing to do with it. But the timing sure wasn't helpful to her
0: boss. No. Okay, so okay, so then that happened. Yeah. Okay, and there was also a cabinet shuffle. I think we've already mentioned that's that, right. But there was yes. a cabinet shuffle, a one-person cabinet a shuffles, shuffle,
1: which I decided should be called a pirouette.
0: Cabinet oh, flow. I liked that A pirouette. So then, a lastly, twirl. on yes. Thursday, well, maybe not lastly, but it was on Thursday. <laughs> so far. Your workplace, Shannon McLean's, published an uh, an intriguing article, an interview Paul Wells had had with Liberal MP and former Cabinet Minister Jane Philpott, who we've been talking about. Philpott resigned from her post on March 4th amid the SNC-Lavalin fallout. She said she had major concerns with how it was handled and that she couldn't sit around the Cabinet table anymore, citing Cabinet solidarity. Um, in there it was pretty staggering she has a she's quoted saying there's much more to the story that needs to be told um, but that it can't come out because quote there's been an attempt to shut down the story so she, um, you know so she's referring I think specifically to the the shutdown of the justice committee investigation um, but I, I mean I don't know that she's a sp- particularly breathing new, You know, fresh life into this scandal. It didn't feel like oh, I think she did. Yeah, just just in the sense of like just that interview. Like you're right that in
1: that she advanced no real new Mm, facts. That's what I meant. But but yeah, yeah. But 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 yes, certainly. But just saying as clearly as she did, there's more that needs to come out, and it can't. Where things seem to sort of hinge now is Jane Philpott and Jodie Wilson Raybould's apparent understanding that they cannot say more. For whatever reason, they understand, uh, particularly this applies to Jody Wilson-Raybould, the waiving of solicitor-client privilege and cabinet confidence to have applied only up to a certain date. I don't know if it's the legal advice Jody Wilson-Raybould is getting. They seem pretty clear on, we can't say more without getting into trouble. But now I've yeah, noticed some of the liberal kind of response and talking points to it have shifted to right. if they have something to say, they should just say it. And even now people are starting to do analytical pieces where right. different parliamentary experts or legal mm-hmm. experts yeah. are saying there are various channels through which they could perhaps yeah. make their case. So that, that kind of seems to be what things rest on and now.
2: A, an MP speaking in the House has enormous protection from multiple fronts as a politicians in the legislature whatever legislature they work in get to speak freely and can suffer virtually no formal consequences for anything that they they say there however i can understand this not being something that any of them wants to test
1: Uh, and also if they put it on do we know how that interacts with something like cabinet confidence Like does one override yeah, par- the other well or? parliamentary
2: privilege trumps just about everything okay but although should- this is not a field with a ton of of precedent and these are very fine cases was as i say i can understand them not wanting mm-hmm. to be test cases for this although again as a practical matter i don't know i mean if, if jane philpot stood up and and in a member statement laid out everything she has to say it's hard to think that Trudeau would use whatever mechanisms are available to him. Just, I, I mean, the Just political the judgment. Optics. The optics of well, it would yeah. be very problematic.
0: And I mean, even if she had raised before QP or something, like, I'm gonna, I want to bring this forward. Do you think that Bardish Chagger would give, like, she'd be probably pretty low on the list of, will give you the time to, to speak. Apparently there's also mechanisms by Afterwards. which they
1: could share time with an opposition member. So if a conservative, say, felt mm-hmm. so moved as to generously donate some of their time, which you have to imagine they would be more than happy to in this case, they could share some mm. of their speaking time. So there's all these sort of, and it's like all the reporters are, yeah. are kind of yeah. chasing down the ways this could work. And I'm sure behind the scenes, they're trying to figure it
2: out. But, I mean, one, one little tidbit here, though, is also, I mean, Philpot in that, that interview said Drew a lot of attention to a conversation that she had with Trudeau the right. the eve on the eve of the cabinet shuffle on the January sixth, I think, yes. where she raised concerns that Jody Wilson-Raybould was being shuffled out of justice because she defied the PMO.
0: Right.
2: Trudeau has talked about that yeah Uh, and the waiver for Wilson-Raybould to testify appears to cover those conversations not just Wilson-Raybould's conversations but conversations she had with anybody else as well
1: but if that was a conversation Uh, between Philpott and Trudeau Wilson-Raybould wouldn't have any capacity to speak about but I think Philpott in that interview also made a point of saying people might want to know why I was mentioning this to the Prime Minister before the news had ever broken which to hmm. struck me as another one of those instances where one of them is putting a piece of paper on the table and saying mm-hmm. there's something you need to look yeah,
0: at here.
2: Indeed, that's, I would like to know that. I would but, certainly but like a, to know that. Is, I would a,
0: like to know all of the things. When you say that, it was <laughs> such a good way of saying it, putting something down on a piece of paper, I'm kind of putting it face down. But I think it was a good point that Susan Delacorte wrote in her column, I think it was this morning, that you know she said, quote, that, that's what speaking truth to power looks like it doesn't it doesn't dance behind anonymously cryptic interviews or polite no i couldn't possibly break the rules of asian it, it doesn't uh, issue vague statements and then shrink from interviews and hard questions including sharp ones from their caucus colleagues. so she's saying like it's time for them to speak you know truth to power if that's what if that's what they are saying they want to do it's an interesting argument um it just seems so murky about how this information can be tabled i think like how it can come about
2: yeah I I guess it depends on what consequences they're willing to risk yeah Um, and not necessarily suffer but risk yeah Uh, and we don't know exactly what they have to say we don't know how damning it might be we don't know how damaging it might be to them them themselves Mm -hmm. or what kind of revenge it might provoke what Mm -hmm. kind of position it might put the Prime Minister in so without knowing that it's it's hard to judge it is their actions but all these but i i mean there there is a lot of there is a lot of tantalizing stuff out there yeah and certainly i mean every reporter in town has been asking over and over and over and over and over again tell us what you have to say or say yeah. what you have to say right and these just
1: the way these two have conducted themselves doesn't seem like uh, a strange little dance to me like it just their actions do not read as flirting with putting something out there and then pulling it back like th- that's just not the way this is read to me It has read as a fairly cautious and considered way of proceeding that's just my read on the way they've mm. put things out there mm-hmm. but that's certainly the the mm-hmm. view that susan advanced is is a common one like you yeah, see it, it a, lot. A, a lot a lot of people say that like kind of put up or shut up because of. i
0: think it's it's frustrating and we're seeing sort of the impact of what not saying anything has had? I mean, we're in you know marathon voting. We're tons of resignations. I mean, so people are looking for answers, whether regardless of who from.
2: There is an argument as well that I mean, when Jodi Wilson Raybould felt that she was being inappropriately pressured back in the fall, that it was her duty to. Uh, raise it with the Prime Minister, as the Prime Minister said, and if she didn't get satisfaction from that, to resign and and say why publicly. And we've had this conversation before. She didn't do that, and there are very complicated reasons why she didn't do that. She felt like she was the one standing in between justice and And the Prime Minister and his minions, Uh, and that makes a lot of sense, but I I wonder whether in retrospect, seeing how it's all turned out, she might wish she had done that. I, I, gotta,
1: I gotta think there's a lot of retrospective uh, oh, yeah. differences of decision in this here play. I, yeah. I
0: can't help but think too like how like how it how the liberal caucus right now would feel a bit like a grade two um, Schoolyard where, like, you've got maybe like one friend that you're latching onto, and you're like, eh, We're gonna like go survivor. do to together. You know how they, they talk openly on survivor <laughs> yeah. about the alliances they yeah. have? Yeah, like, yeah. I think it's
1: feeling a bit like that yeah.
0: these days. Okay, so we're going to refreshingly, I can't believe I'm saying that, but turn our heads. Uh, <laughs> a south. breath of fresh air yeah. from American politics. Mm. Imagine to the, that. Uh, to the US, where the Democratic leadership race is heating up uh, for the 2020 presidential election. So the latest uh, to add their name to the hat—the <laughs> eleven D
1: seven people, yeah—the
0: one hundred and fifty five. No, uh, is is Beto O'Rourke uh, who announced he'd run last week. So there's a lot, and I mean like a lot of hype around this guy. He's he's got that similar celebrity power that Obama did back in I I want to say two thousand four was that that long that, that kind of came on first, the first yeah, which uh, feels like oh my god that's two thousand eight like, okay. was when he actually ran right for president. yeah. yeah. So, um, I read a New York Times article this week it's with the headline, like, is, is the force with Beto? And um, the author is quoted saying, we have the, the one again, a new one, another lanky, bookish, handsome man with an attractive young family, a thin resume, an exotic name, it's true, a hip effect, a rock star, aura, an enticing smile, a liberal press corps ready to fluff his pillows, and a frothing Fox News. I mean, the guy, he really does look like a Kennedy. He skateboards around the neighborhood. He's done the Vanity Fair cover. Shoot, which we talked about off air last week yes um, Annie Leibovitz yeah it was those photos were like the oh I think I it was the like the Lincoln ads like the the Matthew McConaughey That's Lincoln right. ad um, <laughs> he's been interviewed by Oprah he's got the the it factor and he's coming into this fresh off his almost almost win against uh, Ted Cruz in a uh, long time long senator Ted Cruz in, in Texas so uh, after that, which I also thought was funny, I think we talked about this, was um, uh, he, after that loss, he, so fitting, he went on like a 40-day excursion through the desert, vlogging and like floating in and out of a, a haze of commentary to meet with people and chat with. So he's got that, that it factor. But it looks like he's got the financial backing, too. He raised more than $6 million online in the first 24 hours uh, after it, announcing. So, and he, he's touted this as like a real, and it is, as a real grassroots uh, level of support,
2: lots of small donations. Right, and what, and what I, I say, what was clever, yeah, what was about it, it was uh, he did not. People asked, you know, mm-hmm. you've announced how much money did you raise? It's kind of a, a, a quickie test for new mm. candidates. You know, you announced, you can start raising money. How much flooded in? And initially, his campaign refused to say. And then it turned out, and so the thinking was, ooh, maybe it didn't Not go so good. Well. Oh. Then it turned out to be more than anybody else. $6.1 yeah. million wow. in 24 hours. Yeah. And so he kind of got the, he got expectations lowered and then. That's oh. Smart. That is. And I think so online, the atmosphere.
1: online donations have kind of become the favored metric, right? Because mm-hmm. it's a measure of that grassroots support. Yeah. Like it's almost yeah. being treated like a straw poll. Yep. Um, yeah, it's the donors, like It's right? the hype funny. factor. Like who is, who is. <laughs> who is into you yeah
0: and it's a lot of young like he's got that youthful thing and i think it, it's just so co- contrary to to this big powerful support that we see other candidates you know likely get propped up by um but you know i, I think he'll he has the attention of people who who vote on behalf of carrot, char, you know charisma and energy and and big vision but some people are saying he's a little light on policy he doesn't have the the same experience that obama did um We've got other front runners like California Senator Camille Harris who who she got big recognition in the um, the Kavanaugh hearings. Yeah. I think yeah. she was
2: uh, she was on the, the just judiciary committee. She got to ask a lot of questions. She's a former prosecutor and attorney general of California and, and just I, most politicians are terrible at asking <laughs> questions in, in that Environment in right. that format. Um, and she was very, very good at She it, was very. Probing good. and direct. Yes. And knew what she was after.
0: We are still, so that, um, there's a few others, obviously, the, a few more. Uh, a few. A, a few, dozen. Dozen. Yes, a few yeah. dozen others. A little bit more left, too. We've got Bernie, um, uh, uh, Catherine Warren. Yeah, Elizabeth. Uh, Warren. Elizabeth, Warren. Elizabeth sorry, Warren. I always yeah. say Catherine. Elizabeth Warren. Um, and Joe Biden. And Joe Biden. Biden. Well, all the
2: quickie polls, right. number one. Not, he
0: hasn't lot. announced yet. No, and he's he's not even no. officially
2: running. He's hinted strongly that he is, but he hasn't hasn't made the declaration. That Everyone's makes favorite candidate. uncle. <laughs> yeah, although, I mean, there, I think there's a real divide between kind of the old Democratic Party and the new Democratic Party here. Beto O'Rourke, Kamala Harris. Mm. Uh, you know, she's not a presidential candidate, but the kind of Alexandria Ocasio Cortez yeah. wing of the Model, party, yeah. much more left wing, much more fiery. Generally speaking, you know more ethnic than the kind of older white guys yeah. who dominated the party for a long time That's true more yeah. women uh, Who speak to a different? Kind of America and there's Joe Biden who has been a politician and he's
1: quintessential. A, a, establishment. Yeah, Democrat. exactly
2: true. and yep. As has been pointed out he has through a long 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 career in politics He has built up a long 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 record of uh, voting to get tough on crime, voting for the war on drugs, voting for all kinds of things true, that Democrats yeah. today don't stand for.
0: Yeah, it's hard to get past that. some of that stuff too. I mean, and, and yeah, I mean, he has tried the presidential run before, been in trouble for, um, what was it?
2: Uh, plagiarizing. He, plagiarizing a,
0: his, his yeah. speech. Um, and yeah, so I mean, yeah, it, like you said, Shannon, it's probably the, the one person that's, If you were going to go up with Trump and he was going to use the establishment line again.
1: Well, that's the number. So, like, the number one thing Democrats want now is to beat Trump. Like, however they get there, Mm -hmm. like an elephant on roller skates, totally fine. (laughs) Which might do. But, yeah, but the question is, like, what David's alluding to is which path is the sh- like which way is the surer path but, yeah. but you also have Biden's camp doing this weird thing where they keep leaking all these bits of strategy where they're talking about potentially declaring Stacey Abrams to be his running mate from the get-go which is yeah. kind of a, a weird way to do it and sort of has a bit of a look of desperation or a preemptive defensive maneuver because mm-hmm. they're saying like his age, his whiteness, his establishmentness that this would be a way to kind of sidestep that or offset
2: it. Stacey Abrams being a black woman who ran for governor of Cal- uh, Georgia. Yeah. And she didn't really come close to winning, but no. she was the Democratic nominee and did pretty well.
1: And just generated enormous amounts of Huge excitement, amounts of like kind of yeah. just the buzz factor um, and then they've also said he would float the idea of only being a one term president, which, again, just seems like a bit of a desperation, yeah. like nod to. Yes, is he 79? Like I'm this age. Yeah. But then you think like if you're preemptively sort of telling people you understand the knocks against you, why would anyone throw their support behind you? Like it's just it, it's a strange even though he does pull ahead, they at very least need more message discipline in that in that HQ, where they need to stop telling people all these things that yeah, they love, everything that's
2: wrong with him. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think he does speak to the kind of the traditional core of the Democratic vote, right. the 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 Rust Belt voters. He has a his story about growing up in Scranton, you know, kind of a hard scrabble family, taking He's the Amtrak home. Cred. Yeah, yeah, he absolutely yeah. does because that is absolutely how he grew up. But is that that's certainly the past of the Democratic Party. Exactly. Is that the future of the Democratic Party? You can't cast all those people off. Those a lot of those voters voted for Trump last time, at least a significant percentage of them did enough to make a big difference. The Democrats need to get them back. But there is also kind of the Obama effect of activating huge numbers of potential Democratic voters who otherwise don't bother voting. Right.
0: And that's sort of what the, the Beto, the Beto effect. Yeah. Yeah um okay wow that's been that's been a conversation um it's all for us today we will see you next week uh thanks guys what's your uh, handles what's i handles? am at s proudfoot
2: and i am at david reeveley
0: all right we'll see you next time cash has been around for thousands of years but canadians are increasingly turning to new methods such as mobile wallets and contactless solutions to make everyday payments No matter what the future of payments holds, Interact will be there to help Canadians transact with confidence across multiple platforms and devices. Learn more at newsroom.interact.ca.